18 to 34. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Great. Thank you, George. Good evening, everybody. Um, My name is Matt. I think Daniel mentioned that earlier on. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at City Church as of a week, um, and it's a joy to be with you all this evening, and a great privilege as always to open up God's Word and reflect upon it. Um, so this is our fifth talk in the This Is Why series, um, and it will bring the series to a close, and uh, I don't know about you, but I found it a great encouragement over the past uh, few weeks looking at stories of Jesus encountering people, and seeing the way he loved them, the way he cared for them and brought his uh, saving power into their lives and and, and saw transformation. Uh, We've had wonderful stories. The man possessed with a a legion of demons set free. The woman caught in adultery about to be stoned, given grace and forgiveness. The thief on the cross receiving mercy in his final hour. Wonderful, wonderful stories of, of, of salvation. Tonight, we've heard another story of Jesus encountering uh, a man, a a rich ruler. But this story is a little different to the others. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, This is the first story in this series where the person Jesus encounters goes away not rejoicing in salvation, but grieved. Actually walking away from Jesus, as it were. So it seems anyway. And so uh, tonight we might feel like we're hitting a bit of a minor key uh, in this series, but actually 
this story, once you dig under the surface, when we see the dynamics of, who, of what Jesus is doing and, and how he speaks to this man, we see a portrait of a God who loves us and cares for us and seeks after us. So let's get into it, shall we? So the gentleman comes up to Jesus and he's referred to as a ruler. And as the story goes on, we find out he's very wealthy. He's a rich ruler. Um, And so I suppose if he was alive today, we might kind of use the term cultural elite to describe this man. Um, He's clearly has some kind of political uh, oomph behind him, some influence. Uh, He's got wealth and possessions. He probably was educated in the right places. Uh, He probably, you know, knows the the cultural terms and and the right things to say. If he was alive today, he's somebody that I think I'd probably end up being a little bit intimidated by. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we don't know what this man's motivations were. It could be that this was a a sincere question that had been troubling him, keeping him up at night. And he comes to Jesus to ask it. Or or it could be that he's coming to check him out, kind of just hear Jesus' opinion on this topic. Jesus' reply makes me think that Jesus thought that there was something disingenuous. Because Jesus responds with those kind of slightly alarming words, doesn't he? He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And commentators think that this is Jesus essentially calling out the man's flattery. He's come up to Jesus and says, oh, good teacher, tell me what you think. Uh, And Jesus isn't going to have any of that. He says, only God is good. And when he does that, he's saying it to challenge this man's self-assured sense that he knows what is good. He's come up to Jesus and and that's what flattery is, isn't it? He says, you know, I, I know you're good. I know you're better than the rest. And Jesus says, he calls that out. Only God is good. And the things that are good are, are, are the things that God says are good. And so Jesus goes on and he says, you know the commandments. You know the things that God has revealed to his people that are good. And he, he, he states five things. Um, do you know where they, they come from? Can anybody uh, like a little bit of interaction every now and again? Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he, he states five things. Exodus 20, which is the famously known as the the Ten Commandments. But how many commandments do we see here? Uh, I just told you a second ago. Five. Five. Jesus reads out five of the Ten Commandments. And the chap very quickly goes, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I have kept them all since I was a youth. He's very confident, very self-assured, this fella. But actually, Jesus has, has essentially baited him. Because Jesus has left out the five commandments that are really God-centered. The commandments that challenge us not to put anything before God in our affections or priorities. Jesus has left out, you shall have no other gods before me. You shan't worship anything else besides the living God. You'll have no idols, nothing created that you put your trust in and find satisfaction in. Jesus has left out, you shall not misrepresent the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath, trusting that God will provide for you, not your riches, not your wealth, not your industry, but God. 
And finally, you shall not covet, you shall not desire worldly things. Jesus has left these things out because he knows that actually these are the things going on in this man's heart. And to draw that out, Jesus puts a challenge to him. He says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. Jesus invites this man to step into those areas where he is, he's actually falling short. He, he's asking this man to really worship the Lord, his God, first and foremost. To not covet, to not rest on his own possessions and things. Jesus is, is, is really going for the jugular. Come and, invest in heaven, come and invest in heavenly treasure that comes through serving others and trusting God. Now this request, this command Jesus gives this man is above and beyond anything that God ever asked in the in the law given through Moses in the Old Testament you'll never find a commandment as radical as this and Jesus doesn't put this commandment to everybody I mean many Christians throughout the centuries have done this they have sold all their positions and, and given them to the poor but this isn't something Jesus asks of everybody but he's, he's asking this of this man it's a radical request that requires radical faith. What's going on? God wants this man's full devotion. He wants his trust. And the Lord God will not settle for anything less. Why? Is it because our God's an egotistical tyrant, kind of saying, no, you must completely adore me, love me, nothing else matters, just me, 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 me? No, that's not the God we encounter through Jesus Christ. I think that the secret to understanding this actually goes back to the initial conversation about only God is good, about goodness. Jesus reminds the man that only God is good. God is good in a way that is higher and purer than any of our human creaturely assessments of what goodness is. That means that God's goodness doesn't always conform to our sense of what's good. God's goodness doesn't always conform to society's understanding of what goodness is. And in fact, where there's a disconformity between those things... God's goodness sometimes comes in into conflict, into challenge us. He does that because he loves us. God challenges us because he loves us. Jesus' challenge to this man isn't out of kind of cruelty, isn't trying to, to test him. It's because he loves him. And in fact, Mark's gospel makes that explicit. In Mark's telling of this same story, in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looks at him and he doesn't see pride, doesn't see arrogance, doesn't see a covetous miser. He loves him, cares for him. He says, I want more from you. I want freedom for you. I want joy and I want you to flow out with love for other people, not for yourself and your possessions. Jesus loves him and love challenges. Love challenges. 
when the love of God incarnate encounters people, yeah, we see wonderful salvation and power. We see compassion and kindness and mercy, but we also see challenge. And I think this is an idea that our modern world struggles to understand. Maybe every age struggles to understand it, but I think we particularly struggle to understand that, that love can bring challenge. We think love must always be um, consoling or accepting and affirming. And of course, love does console and love does welcome in and remove shame and walk alongside the beloved. But love also looks upon the beloved and sees the things that, that hinder and hold back. And love stands against those things. Let me read you a quote from C.S. Lewis, who I just... Lewis is great, isn't he? He just articulates things so, so well. Um, And this is what he wrote in his book, uh, The Problem of Pain. God is not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. Not the cold philanthropy of a conscientious magistrate, nor the care of a host who feels responsible for the comfort of his guests, but the consuming fire himself, the love that made the world, persistent as the artist's love for his work, provident and venerable as a father's love for a child, jealous, inexhaustible, exacting as love between the sexes. How should this be? I do not know. It passes reason to explain why any creature... Not to say creatures such as we should have a value so prestigious in their creator's eye. God loves us. And that love is a consuming fire. And that love steps in to challenge us when we fall short of all that we were made to be. In the same way that an artist's love for the thing that they're working on, that they have the the image in their mind as to what this, this painting could be, and they spend day and night slowly, meticulously working on it to bring it to perfection. In the same way that a a parent loves their child and scolds the child when it runs in front of a, you know, busy traffic, an experience I have a little too often at the moment, if I'm totally honest. Um... Love cares. It's not apathetic. It cares for the best of the one that it loves. God challenges us because he is pure, unchanging goodness, and he loves us. That's what's happening in this story. Now, you might look at the story and think, well, that's great and all, but a fat load of good it did because the guy walks away in the end, doesn't he? It doesn't look like a story of success. But actually, who are we to know how that man's story panned out? How do we know that... uh, Hang on. I was going to do a double negative there. And even though I'm a writer and like did literature at university, I struggle with a double negative. Rewind it back. How do we know that, you know, later down the line, he didn't stay up late at night, troubled by Jesus' words? How do we we not know that, that his heart was moved... Um, eventually uh, convicted of his idols. We don't know the effects that these words had on him. I think about the Apostle Paul 
uh, in the book of Acts. Paul was this great missionary, church planter, church leader. Um, and, uh, but before he was that, he had a very different lifestyle. He was persecuting Christians, um, handing them over for execution, in fact. And at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is talking about his conversion experience, his, his coming to faith. And he says, uh, he admits that Jesus was goading him before he became a Christian. In other words, Jesus was bringing challenge. Like goads, if I understand, are kind of sharp things you put alongside a bull if you want it to kind of plough a field. Jesus was prodding Paul, just as he prods this man here, because he loves him, brings challenge. Do you know the challenge of Christ? Do you know his loving gaze upon your life that exposes those things that we deep down know damage us and other people? Do you know his love in that? The book of Hebrews says that if we haven't been disciplined by God, then, then actually we're not experiencing what it is to, to be his child because a, a parent disciplines a child that they love. God brings challenge because he loves us. Perhaps some of us may have experienced kind of like, oh, actually, I'm aware that I fall short, but it's not come with that assurance of God's love. Well, tonight, he wants to pour that love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. He wants to give you a revelation of his fatherly love and interest in your life. Not condemnation, but love that cares and helps. Do we know the challenge of Christ? Do we know that he loves our neighbour? Jesus loves our neighbours, our colleagues, our hallmates, the people in our communities. Jesus loves them, and just as he sought after you and I, he's seeking after them too. And that will look like showing his compassion and grace and mercy to those people, but it may also look like him bringing challenge into their life. Do you know that Jesus wants to bring challenge to the people around you? Now, I'm always aware that if you talk about that, that, that idea with Christians, we tend to go one of two ways of that. This idea that Jesus wants to bring challenge to other people. Some of us kind of go, ooh, I don't like the sound of that. I don't want to be a kind of judgmental Christian that's got a bad rap to it. I don't want to start making people feel bad or anything like that. Whereas some other people might go the other way and be like, yeah, you know what? I know a few people who need challenging and I'm ready to go. I've been waiting for this moment, Jesus. Here we are. If I'm honest, I, I can do both. I can go both ways. The good news is Jesus knows how to challenge people. If we're honest, more often than not, we don't. <laughs> we get it wrong one way or another. But Jesus knows what he's doing. And so we can trust him as he works in our lives through us to other people. And so just to say a few things about what challenge looks like. How does Jesus bring challenge to people through us? Well, the first thing is that he he always brings his challenge in love. He always brings his challenge in love. And so the people around us, they need to know that Christ loves them through us. And how we conduct ourselves, how we look at them, how we smile at them, how we care for them and take an interest in their life, despite what we might think is out of line there. Jesus 
does so, I think, primarily through the way we live our lives. Sometimes he might bring challenge through our words, but I think it's primarily through the way we live our lives. This preaching series is called This Is Why, and we we took that title from Peter's first letter in the New Testament. And in it, Peter says, be prepared to give an answer, or be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have when people ask you why. So when people, people should see our lives as Christians, see Christ-likeness in us, you know, works in progress, but still Christ-likeness in us, and should see that and go, why are you making those choices? Why are you living like that? And in those moments, it's, it's our job to, to say, this is why. Because we love him and we trust him. And we get the biggest, the answers to the biggest questions in him. And so the way we live our lives brings challenge to people around us. We are salt and light. That's how he brings challenge to people. It's a big thought, isn't it? That actually... For folks around us who don't know the Lord to become Christians, that, that, that there's a challenge involved in that and a transformation and a, and a, and a turning around. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal, isn't it, when someone becomes a believer? I was 20 when I came to faith. and My goodness, there was some stuff to work through. And I look back and I think, how on earth did that ever get sorted out? Well, Jesus puts his challenge to this man and he goes away saddened. And the disciples look at one another and they say, who can be saved? And Jesus' response to them is, well, with with people, it's not possible. But with God, it is possible. God knows how to transform people's lives. And we might look at people and think, man, alive, I don't see how this is changing. I'm pretty sure people thought that about me. (laughs) But the Lord knows. He knows what he's doing how to lovingly transform and set people free. And Peter, he knows that because Jesus says that, that with with God, all things are possible. And then Peter goes, oh yeah, Lord, we've left everything for you. I I almost hear kind of Peter's shock in that moment of like, oh wow, look at what you've done in our life, Lord. We're following you. This is happening. You're doing it in us. People... Jesus knows how to seek and save the lost. He knows how to go after his sheep, after his people. He knows how to transform us. And with him, all things are possible. This is who he is. Loving us, seeking after us, fighting for our best. That's who he was when he walked on the earth. That's who he is today around the world and here in Cambridge. And throughout this, this, this teaching series, um, we've been hearing stories uh, from a church family of how Jesus continues to do that today. And tonight, uh, it's my privilege to invite my friend Joel up. Um, Joel's a dear member of City Church. Give him a round of applause as he comes up. Um, and Joel, you're going to tell us some stories, aren't you? Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, um, um, so I just, uh, remember towards the start of, uh, last academic year, um, uh, I, I had this, uh, this group of friends, um, uh, who are 
uh, met, made friends with in first year, um, and uh, it was mostly non-Christians, um, but uh, there was me and a, a couple of other Christians, um, and uh, with uh, with um, the, the Christians in that group, there was a real kind of uh, energy um, to uh, to preach the good news for uh for our friends to come to know come to know christ um um and uh and i i just remember being with my being with my friend tom and uh and and we were just praying um for you know god to to do something in our in our in our friendship group um and uh and you know we didn't know what that was going to look like um um, but uh, I think what happened in the coming year was was was, was incredible, um, and I think uh, I can't remember who was first, but uh, um, uh, the first one I, I think of is uh, is my friend Aaron, who's here tonight, uh, <laughs> um, um, uh, and uh, I, I believe I believe we 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 tricked him into coming to a, a Christian Union event. Um, uh, I think it, we, we we always went to, went to the pub a lot, and uh, we 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 said uh, um, we're we're going to the pub, but first we're going to this Christian Union event, um, and uh, um, and I, I I think I think I was speaking to him after, and he and he wasn't very impressed. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, but it got a conversation going, and uh, uh, we went to the pub the the following week, and uh, and, and I spoke to him, and uh, he became uh, very interested. And my friend uh, Alec and Tom um, bought, invited him to church, um, and uh, he went for. Um, a few weeks, and he and he realised that uh, that Christ is Lord, and made that made that commitment. Um, another one that was happening around around the same time was my friend my friend Isaac. Um, he uh, was from a uh, he was nominally Catholic, um, uh, and uh, so so you know we would have these these big debates, and uh, where we were. Um, uh, going at it, um, and uh, um, he uh, would would kind of almost be on our side because because he he, he thought, well, yes, I believe in God, and um, and uh, I remember one time my friend, after having one of these big arguments, um, my friend noticed um, his interest, the, the, the faith he had, and um, and invited him to church and. Uh, the I think he he told me that uh, the first sermon he heard was on Ephesians two and how we're not saved by 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 works but by grace um, and uh, and and he was really struck by that and after going for church for a few weeks um, he came to know the Lord um, and uh, what started to happen from that point um, was um, because there was this group. Um, that was going to church um, we were able to get a load of people to go to go to church with us um, and uh, 
and you know a, a bunch of our friends were going um i remember um you know my friends uh alec isaac and, and aaron were all on the same corridor and it was as if the, um you know the gospel went down the corridor you know and uh, um all like a bunch of people from that corridor started to, started to go to church and um what came of that is uh, I, I had a friend uh, um uh, ben who uh, um, made a commitment towards the end of last year and uh, and also um, a friend uh, a friend called um, called bruno who uh, made a commitment last term um, and uh, and 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 last of all there's uh, there's my friend dom um, and uh, this is still this is still very new that he's only kind of unfolding in the past um couple of weeks um but um yeah i've been speaking to dom for ages and uh, every couple of weeks for the past uh, a year and a half i guess uh, you know i've uh, uh, been having cups of coffee with him um and uh, going to coffee shops and uh, and all kinds of stuff and uh, and it's only in 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 the last couple of weeks that he's told me that he's decided to um, to make a commitment, um, yeah, and so so, I think I, I just I just feel like like um, you know, if you if you look at our group, you'd think why would why would why would God use these guys? Um, uh, um, uh, why, why would why would God work work here? And it's just you know, a lot of you know going to the pub and and talking and uh, and praying and uh, being being um a group of brothers um um uh, and uh, having that kind of um um energy that we don't we don't want we're not content with um our, our friends not knowing not knowing Christ um and and that was that was I think that was really really powerful um, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's all I actually say. Isn't that great? Is it five, five friends you mentioned there, Joel? Yeah, what a joy. What a joy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's close, let's call it a revival. It's, <laughs> um, is the Lord. This is who he is. Seeking after people. Um, seeking after people. Bringing his love and grace into their lives and bringing transformation. Um, this is who he has always been and who he remains. And he's so committed to it. So committed to seeking after his people. This exchange between Jesus and the rich ruler uh, finishes and and the man goes away. And then after the little exchange between Jesus and the disciples, he, he tells them that he's setting out for Jerusalem. And he describes what's going to happen there. What he's going to face in order to go and seek after us who are lost. He talks about how he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles, how he's going to essentially be tortured, um, betrayed, and then executed on a Roman cross where the, the light of life is going to enter into the darkness of death. 
to seek after us and to bring us back. The God who challenges us is so very trustworthy because he's the same God who lays himself down for us, who comes to find us in all our suffering and bring him back to himself. That's the God who we come to worship today. That's the God we go into the week as ambassadors for. And so we're going to take a moment just to remember the Lord's death, to think upon it, to receive his love for us afresh by taking communion. Uh, So we have the the pots at the back uh, here.